Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. God has given me the opportunity to be here for a year and a half now. And it struck me that I haven't given my testimony about where I come from. And then God really convicted me that I realized that in the 14 years that I've been a youth pastor, I've never actually compiled and given my testimony. And the first thing that I hope to communicate is that a testimony has nothing to do with us. A testimony is supposed to be a a testimony about the glory of God. For most of my life, I didn't understand this. I figured that unless I had, you know, the the crazy, wild, drug-induced, killing people lifestyle, and then Jesus changed me, and then I'm on this side, unless I had that kind of story, that I didn't have a good testimony. But don't we have a God who is good? And don't we have a God who saves? And aren't we, doesn't he come into our lives and teach us and grow us and lead us? No matter what our story is, no matter what our background is, he is worthy of all praise and glory. He is worthy of our testimony to him. And so, I want to give testimony to who God was in my life, and I hope that it inspires you to think about your own life. I hope that the verses and the truths that I've learned, I can pass to you. The first truth is that Our God is faithful. My testimony actually begins before my birth. My parents were in show business, my dad in particular. He did everything from Broadway to New York City Opera Company. He had a record. He did commercials, movies, the works. I think he did everything but stand-up comedy. Did you do stand-up comedy? Yeah. I think he... He was very involved, and that was his world. And God radically saved him, and I would love for him to give his testimony sometime because it's pretty crazy. God radically saved him. And at his salvation, he turned to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God said, sing. He said, sing. I've been singing all my life. What are you talking about? God just said, sing. And with not a lot of further direction, he just went back to his world. But he knew that he needed to marry my mom. And years in, they found out that they couldn't have children. And because of the wealth that he was making, he could go to the very best doctors And all five specialists, world specialists, said, you'll never have kids. And God touched my mom, and wham, I'm here. So that's kind of cool. But but it's not about anything else but the glory of God that my father saw and said, there's something real here. There's something more than just the life I've been living. This stuff has left me empty. There's got to be something more. And God spoke to him on the roof of the Beverly Hills Hotel and said, serve me full time. <laughs> and so he goes to my mom, and she'd been praying for it the whole time. This is wild. And so he read this crazy story about the rich guy who goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to, to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all you have, give it away to the poor, and come and follow me. And my dad said, okay, if it's real, then let's do it. So he sold everything they had. They gave it away. They bought a 12-foot trailer. That's the length of two guys laying up here. Not a lot of room. And they hit the road, and they looked for churches that would just let him share his testimony. And he would sing from church to church, and whatever 
one church gave us is how much we had to get to the next church. And when a church of 500 people gives you $75 and a bottle of Coke, it's very difficult to transport your family of three cross country. And yet it was living by faith. What one place gave us is how we got to the next, believing that God was going to take care of us. Because in the end, he said to himself, self, if this isn't real, I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. But God, if you'll prove faithful, if you'll prove real, then I'll serve you. And so we did. For eight years, I was raised in the back seat of a car. I was potty trained in the back seat of the car. I was homeschooled in the back seat of the car. I burned up my Walkman. I played with Legos until I got so nauseous, I'd throw up into the Lego bucket, we'd clean it out, and I'd do it over again the next day. That was my life. Eight to 12 hours a day, back seat, church to church. It was crazy. We only had windows in the front. And so as we're going through hot states, We'd have to turn on the heater so that we wouldn't overheat the engine. So we have the heat blowing on us. My parents have windows. I'm in the back with no windows. And my mom gave me the great advice of opening the one and a half inch vent behind my head. Oh, I'm feeling the Arctic breeze now, Ma. And then to hydrate me, she'd give me a Dixie cup that was half full. Here you go, son. We don't want to have to make too many potty breaks. Great. Please, sir, I'm going to have some more. It was terrible. And yet God proved himself faithful over and over and over again. The trailer fell on my dad's foot, crushed his foot. Three days he was healed. He'd have prayer lines and people would be saved from alcoholism. From a young age, I saw demons cast out of people. It was wild. I got to see what it meant to live absolutely in God's hands. God, it's you or we're failing. We spent many, 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 many times broken down on the side of the road. We had crazy experiences as a family. And through this very nomadic lifestyle, God completely sealed to us that he is faithful. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, everything that you need, they're going to be added to you. If we'll actually take him at his word, he will be faithful. Hey, I'll give you another bonus truth. God doesn't have to use the qualified. He uses the willing. He takes people that are crazy enough to say, I'll try, go for it. Those are the people he uses. Think of Gideon in the bottom of a wine press, scared out of his mind. Throughout the whole Bible, God rarely used the equipped. He always used the willing. Because the willing are willing to trust that he is faithful. There's a lot of things that I didn't grow to appreciate until I was an adult and had a family. The sacrifices they had to make, the risks that they had to take. And we saw the enemy work hard against us. If the enemy couldn't attack my parents' marriage, he would try to bring a sour spirit in the church we were going to. And if he couldn't attack there, he would attack my mom's health. And if he couldn't attack my mom's health, he would attack our vehicles. And if he couldn't attack our vehicles, what did he have left? And so it became a running joke. One day we were driving along and the rearview mirror fell down. Plop. And it was like, that's it. He's got nothing else to attack. He's got to knock our mirror off the window. And so it became this running joke in my family. Like, oh, devil's mad the mirror fell down. Because the mirror fell down like every six months or so. It was a crazy lifestyle. And with every attack, that 
imp of an enemy will be defeated by our master and his faithfulness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things we added to you. Maybe some of you feel a call to go to the mission field. And I'm telling you, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. I don't know anybody there. I don't know the language. And I'm telling you, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be there for you. Some of you are wondering how you can go to work and, and welding or as a nurse or a teacher. And I don't know how I'm supposed to live as a minister in this environment. Yeah, I promise if you'll seek first the kingdom of God. He's going to take care of you. He is faithful. Our home base was in California. We had been living there when I was born because, again, my dad was pushing into movies more and more. And we would travel the country from California. And it was very difficult because if we had a church lined up in North Carolina, that was a lot of driving to get to a church. And so we looked for someplace central in the country. There was a little town named Marouge in North Louisiana And we would always stay in their campground called Christian Fellowship Campground. And they had a little church there. And there was a church put up in an old horse stable, a little tiny place, probably the size of maybe half of this. And they'd pack people into that. And we felt called to move into a place next door to some pastor friends of ours in Bastrop, Louisiana. Maybe you heard of it. Maybe you smelled it from here. Has a paper mill. It stinks. We couldn't get a house. My dad had no money. He had no credit. He had no uh, collateral. Every bank turned him down until a banker at that little tiny place in the middle of a horse stable heard him preach and sing and said, I'll give you the loan so you can have that house. And God opened the doors in his faithfulness, and we moved in. And that was our home base for a couple years as we continued to travel and tour now, remember that, Christian Fellowship Campground. It's going to come into play again. And then one day, Dad saw a bunch of kids playing in the street. And with a city of 12,000 people and 114 churches, not one of them was reaching out to the inner city kids. So God put a burden on his heart for these kids. I don't know why this is tearing me up. <laughs> I've never done this before. Sorry. And he said, Fine. You want me to serve these kids? Open up a building for two years. And God did them one better. He opened up two buildings rent-free for two years. I said, okay. It was a bar and a pool hall. So we refurbished the bar into a church, and we refurbished the pool hall into a youth center. And in the first two years, we served 200 kids coming through out of gangs, out of drugs, out of every environment that you can think of. Prostitution, the works. They came. I'm nine, ten years old, bouncing around this youth center. It was awesome. We had pizza night. I just disappeared into the crowd, you know. And our time was quickly coming to the, at the end of these two years. And we looked across the street, and there was a funeral home, a place for burying the dead. And the funeral home I also had on the property a two-story little rundown house, and it had a big tin building where they used to store caskets. And so Dad started walking around it. We started praying, all right, Lord, let's make it a place to raise the dead. Wouldn't that be fun? And one day he gets a phone call. Hey, I've got these buildings. I'd like to donate them to you. You can have that funeral home, the tin building, and the two-story house. Boom, so we moved in. How wild is that? But you know what? We were across the street from the worst bar in town. Loud, noisy strippers, the works. It was terrible. And so we started walking around and praying around it whenever it was out, whenever, you know, whenever they were closed in the morning. <laughs> so the guy comes across the street and threatens us. 
If they, if we wouldn't like let them park their their patrons there, then they were going to come. They're going to hurt us, whatever. And then the law caught up with them, and you're not allowed to have a bar within a certain vicinity of a church, and the bar was shut down. And we got another phone call. I own that bar. Do you want it? Sure. And God did something incredible. Soon we had a church. We had a Christian bookstore. We had a youth center. We had a mission house to house people that would come and work with us. Then we had a restaurant, and we installed a putt-putt course next to the restaurant, all for the glory of God. Because God is faithful. And if we're willing to try, if we're willing to put ourselves out there, he'll do the miraculous. Now, this came with blood, and it came with sweat, and it came with tears. In other 80s bands... Nothing comes easy, but if we'll be faithful, he'll show himself. We had a friend, a close family friend, and he, would, he opened the doors for us for me to be able to attend um, the uh, Christian college preparatory school nearby. And so every day I'd go to school with rich white kids that were driving like Hummers and BMWs, and then I'd go home to the ghetto where I would hang out with kids that had no money, the gang members and the druggies, and it was an interesting world for me. And you know, I qu- never quite fit anywhere. I, never, I definitely didn't fit with the rich rednecks. This is North Louisiana we're talking about. <laughs> but you know what? Between the two, I fit in a lot more in the ghetto. It was really strange. For some reason, they accepted me. I never quite fit in, but... I learned the lingo. I learned how to dance and freestyle a little bit. I kind of, and they became my friends. My friends growing up when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 were prostitutes and drug member and, and druggies and drug dealers and gang members. Like the, the leader of the bloods in town was my friend. My friends were, had names like Biscuit and Frog and Brewster and Debo and Corn. These were my friends. It was awesome. Newt, Buddha Red. No, it was awesome. We had, we had very creative. How come I didn't get any cool names? Man. It was really strange. We, I would see my friends' names in the police beat of the newspaper all the time. I'd be like, I'd find out they stopped stealing cars and started stealing construction vehicles. And I'm like, is Grand Theft Bulldozer a thing? I didn't know that. (laughs) We put together an ensemble. Imagine kids that grew up in an atmosphere where their parents would give them a $5 bill and lock them out of the house until dark because they needed to conduct their dealing and their trafficking behind closed doors. Those are the kids that had nothing to do. Of course they're going to get into gangs. Of course they're going to get into trouble. They're running the streets. They have nowhere to be, and they've got $5 to buy chicken. It's their world. And so we gave them a place, a place of safety where we told them about Jesus, where they became a part of something. We did, um, we did like tutoring, and we were, started putting together an ensemble. We started teaching them how to sing and act and dance, and we took an ensemble. We toured to California. We toured to Pennsylvania, and we did black light shows and all kinds of crazy stuff. It was awesome because God's faithful. Kids started bringing their brothers and their sisters to Jesus. Entire families were giving their life to the Lord. But it was also hard. A lot of the blacks hated us because we were white. A lot of the whites hated us because we worked with blacks. 
rumors would go around. It was often that our buildings were broken into. They would ransack the place. They'd steal stuff. They would, they'd, rub, they'd rub fecal matter on the walls just to spite us. They would graffiti terrible things on the outside. It was a hard, it was a hard lot. We'd be threatened by the families of crack houses. Gangs would threaten us. I almost got jumped multiple times. I don't think my parents knew about it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit and angels, man. And the feeling never quite went away that I never, just didn't fit anywhere. Like I mentioned earlier, the enemy tries to get in wherever he can. And if he can't get in one place, he'll keep looking for weak points. And I was a kid that didn't fit. And I was a kid that was under the strange strain of of different worlds. And I was spending so much time in a a culture that was just sexualized. and, And it really began to take an anchorage into me. And I, would, I knew the truth, but I became numb to the ideas of, of lust. And I'd hear the stories of, of sexual escapades and, and terrible things that I look back now and it makes me sick to just think that people would subject themselves to things. But I was numb to it because I grew up. That was just what my friends did. And I knew it was wrong. And I would separate myself physically from it, but it, the seeds of lust really got planted deep in me. And roots started taking place in me. And soon... There was a battle, and, and I was mostly surrendered to the Lord, but I started taking this part of me that was deep down inside. No one could see. It wasn't a, necessarily a mask. It was just that there was a part of me that wasn't surrendered to the Lord, and this area of lust became like a coping mechanism. It became like a, an escape from just the pressures of seeing my parents beat on and, and strained all the time. I needed the Holy Spirit to come in and do some serious cleansing in me. I needed him to live through me. I mentioned earlier that camp, Christian uh, Fellowship Campground, they also had a camp every year, a summer camp. And I loved it because one week a year, one week out of 52, when I went to King's Camp, I felt like a fit. I, I couldn't explain it. I can now because it was the presence of the Holy Spirit there. But it was there that I saw outpourings of the Holy Spirit that I'd never seen before. It was there that I felt like I fit in somewhere, that people accepted me for who I was. It was there that I learned that we were bought with a price. We are not our own. And so we glorify God with our body. We glorify God with our spirit because they already belong to him. I looked up to my counselors. My room counselors every year were like my heroes. I loved them. And I couldn't wait if I could just be their age so I could finally be a counselor. In one year, it was proposed to me that I could be part of a team called work study. Work study means that you're a slave and you happen to study the Bible at night. We were the ones taking out the trash. We were the ones like behind the scenes scrubbing toilets. That was us, the voluntary slaves. And I was like, sign me up. I get to spend another couple weeks in in this kind of atmosphere in the place that I love so much. Heck, yeah, I'm there. It was during one of our quiet times at work study. I was 16. And you know how at New Heights, anybody been to New Heights? It's coming up. You should get your parent to come to paper release party, April 3rd. Here's an info packet that you can give your parent about that shameless plug. (laughs) Just like what we do at New Heights, we did that at work study. And I'm sitting by a lake with my Bible, and it 
the Holy Spirit hit me and said, you know what? You serve me. You love me. Yes. But it's always been attached to your parents' faith. The things that you've done have been a part of it because you've been in the backseat of their car. You've been the one that's towed along with wherever they're going. What about you? And it was there in that lakeshore that I was like, Lord, on my own decision, I give my whole life to you. You get my decisions. You get my future. You get my past. You get all of me. I mean, I've been living for the Lord. I loved him since I was very young. But there was a time and a place that I had to come to a point of saying, God, you are my master. Not because of my parents, not because of anybody else. I call you master and I dedicate me to you 100%. It was my declaration of faith. Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's the hard part. Deny himself. That's the part that's not preached very often. Deny himself. We don't like to talk about that from the pulpit very much. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Truth number two, I am not my own. My life belongs to Jesus. I don't get to make my decisions anymore. I surrendered them. My future is not up to me anymore. I surrendered it. This is hard to accept in our individualistic life, in our individualistic culture. We actually say to the Lord, I'm yours. You get to decide. God began to lead me to scriptures that burned into those deep roots of my secret lust. And it began a campaign for me in purity. He brought me to verses like Proverbs 26, 11. As a dog returns to its own vomit, so a fool repeats its folly. You ever seen a dog eat its vomit? It's disgusting. How disgusting is it before our holy God that we return to our sin over and over again? Galatians 5.1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Psalm 119, 9 through 10, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Proverbs 16, 9. Here's a verse that you can put in your pocket forever. A man's heart plans his ways. We plan our ways. We, we, we get it laid out. But the Lord directs his steps. From third grade through 10th grade, I wanted to be like in science. NASA was my like goal. I had it all planned out. I was hungry for it. I was like studying stuff on my own that had nothing to do with school. And then 11th to 12th grade, I fell back and started like getting into cartooning and drawing. And I was like all art. I wanted to do pretty much anything but to be in ministry. <laughs> and I turned 18 and had the opportunity to become a room counselor at King's Camp. And I got my first batch of eight-year-old psychopaths. <laughs> and I had to hang out with these kids day and night. I had to get them to eat and to shower and to sleep, it! You get an eight-year-old to sleep. Mm-mm. You, be- you better have some chloroform, all right? That just doesn't work. You put eight eight-year-olds together. And throughout that summer, I got... 
everywhere from eight to 18 year olds, groups of eight at a time. And I loved it. We had like one afternoon off. We'd get them from Sunday through Saturday afternoon. We go home, sleep Saturday night and get a new batch on Sunday for six weeks straight. And I loved it. I couldn't wait to go back every week. I love pouring into these kids. I love teaching them about Jesus. I love hanging out and telling stories. I love taking them out to the high ropes and watching them pee their pants on the high ropes. It was awesome. I couldn't wait to do it. Something was ignited in me. I ate it up. We had a close family friend who was near death in California. And so we got on the road and we're heading to California. And my mom says, you know, on the way back, we could check out this one university. And I'm like, what? I'm going to Boston. I'm going to the sciences or the arts or something. And my mom said, but you get to take an extra couple days out of school if we stop by there. And I'm like, bam, I'm staying out of school as much as I can. <laughs> you know, sure, mom, I'll go anywhere you want. And on the way back, I'm staying in the hotel room. And I'm like, Lord, I'm yours. I told you, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I'll follow you. But could you give me, I'm not just asking for an open door, Lord. I want like a blinking neon sign over the door. Like make this clear, okay? And I showed up the next day, and I go to like this program that they have where they show you around the school. You guys will do that sometime soon. And they had, I'm not kidding, a sign that said, Welcome Dominic Ferrone to Oral Roberts University. <laughs> you funny. <laughs> Are you serious? Okay, okay, that's, that's strange. But, you know, I can get over that. My parents called ahead. They said that I was coming. All right, all right. So we go to chapel. And the first thing that I recognized as I walked into this campus was there's something familiar about this place. Never been there before. So familiar. Something sweet. And I'm sitting in chapel, and it happened to be their procession of the flags day. And that's where the students from all over the world bring their flag, and they circle the huge chapel representing their country. And it was completely covered. There was no empty space. I was sitting in the middle of the nations of the world together worshiping Jesus. It blew my mind. Like, what is this? This is crazy. And I was like, okay, Lord. I'm not trying to like push it or anything, but if there's some way you could just stick me to this place, that'll just really reconfirm kind of what I've been feeling. And you know what? The ratio was four girls to every one guy. And I was like, I can meet a girl before I leave. That'll stick me to this place. Wouldn't that be awesome? So the worship ends, and I go to sit down, and I can't move my foot. And I'm like, <laughs> and I swear to you, the only gum in that entire place was stuck under my foot. It was nasty and hilarious. And I'll tell you what sealed the deal. What I recognized, I recognized the Holy Spirit that I'd only felt one other place in my whole life. In never feeling like I fit in anywhere else, I felt the Holy Spirit like I felt at King's Camp all over that campus. And I was like, God, if I get to feel that for four years straight, if I get to be in your presence in that kind of way, I'm in. Even if it derails what I think I want. And so I signed up for Oral Roberts University. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll go back to traveling. Wouldn't that be fun? That's way better than sitting in Bastrop. So I'll travel. I'll preach in churches. I'll do kind of what Dad did, minus the singing, because I can't sing. And so I signed up for, I think my major was evangelism, and my minor was in youth ministry. Because, hey, I'd spent the last however many years in inner city youth ministry. 
One night, my struggles came to a head, and I went and I confessed to my chaplain, who is now my very best friend. And I was like, look, I've got this. I'm dealing with lust, and I can't beat it. I don't know how to get around it. And I brought it to the Lord over and over and over again, and I'm losing every time. And he said to me the most powerful words that you can say to your friend, I just beat it myself, and I know that you can do it with me. Because that was it. I thought it can never be beaten. And to talk to somebody who said, I did it. I'll walk you through. I'll be there with you. I'll partner with you in this. God bless Daniel Henry. And so we set up a regime, a regimen, whatever. And day in and day out, he'd check in on me. Dom, how you doing? How you doing? You hanging in there? How you doing? And I still have it in my Bible. Here's, this is the day that... With the Lord and the Holy Spirit, I claimed it as my Independence Day, September 13th, 2006. I still have it from the calendar. I declared that my Independence Day. And I still have struggles. I was not perfect. And there's deep roots that God is still working in me. But I am free because Jesus is faithful and because I've surrendered to him. One day I'm walking through the parking lot and I see a hood up on a car. And I'm, I walk over, and I'm like, hey, you need a jump start or something? I've got cables. And this guy comes around. He, he is Korean, and I can't understand half of what he's saying. Come to find out he's the pastor of a Korean church. And he said, hey, what's your major? Well, whenever <laughs> I told him, you know, evangelism, youth ministry, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, I'd love for you to come and speak to my students sometime. I've got four. And I was like, sure, great. He said, Let's come, have my, come have lunch at my house. So I went to his house, took the shoes off, knelt at the table, the whole, like, you know, um, cultural bit. And the come and speak at our church sometime was a bad translation of, we want you to be our youth pastor. And so I showed up, and I've got four Korean boys. The whole church speaks Korean because they're actually from Korea, but these four boys have been raised in the United States and didn't speak much Korean, and they needed a youth pastor that spoke English. And I spent the next three and a half years, those four turned into two, which turned into eight, which turned into 12. And I fell in love with teaching students about Jesus. Absolutely rocked my world. So I showed up to my guidance counselor and he said, if you're going to go into ministry, you need more than just pastoral classes. You need theology. So I changed my major to theology. My minor was in youth ministry. And I jumped in both feet. Lord, I'm going. I'm, you're calling me to youth ministry. I'm going for it. So I went from a gypsy to an Oreo cookie to a youth pastor. <laughs> Truth number three, pay attention. This is going to give someone hope in this room. God is going to get you where he wants you when he wants you there. If he is faithful, if you are surrendered to him, he will get you where he wants you when he wants you there. There's some of you guys and you're floundering and you're like, I don't know where to go from here. I'm lost. I'm stuck. I don't know what you're going through. The Holy Spirit does, but I promise you he is faithful and if you're surrendered to him, he's going to get you where he wants you when he wants you there. Why? Because if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you. He's going to get you where he wants you. And then, if you can hold on to that, it gives you hope. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 through 12, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you, some of y'all ain't paying attention. Plans to give you, hey, you guys, thank you for, to give you, oh, they just schooled you guys. All right, are y'all ready? The Lord gives us, yeah, thank you guys, thank you. A hope and a future. And then, here's good news. You'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. I will listen to you. If you can believe that he's faithful, you'll be surrendered to him. If you'll know that he'll get you where he wants you when he wants you there, then he gives you purpose. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brethren, I don't count myself to have arrived, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize, for the upward call of Christ Jesus. We have a purpose. We are pressing on. And you know what we're not doing in our strength? It's because of him and his faithfulness. It's because he's sovereign. He's going to get us where he wants us when he wants us there. And you know what? If that's true, then we can also have peace. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. I need that. I need that so much. I need peace. I need hope. I need to be renewed in purpose. Truth number one, he is faithful. I have the life story that I can prove it. And you know what? You do too. You just probably haven't thought about it that way yet. A lot of you guys that are maybe raised in Christian homes or homeschooled or church all your lives, you probably haven't looked back through your life and said, God, open my eyes to where you've been faithful and I promise there's opportunity. Number two, Our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price. And number three, our Heavenly Father, our Dad, is going to get us where He wants us when He wants us there. Oh, that's good peace. Challenge number one. Take time and think about what is the truth that God has taught you in your story? Maybe your life didn't have crazy like highs and lows or whatever. You know what, compared to a lot of testimonies I've listened to, mine is sort of straightforward as well. But God has something in you that gives him glory. What is it? What's that truth that he's taught you? Write it down. Take the time to pray, to review, ask the Lord to show you, and write it down. And challenge number two, that truth that you learned from your story, that gives God glory. Remember, the story isn't about you. This has never been about you. This is all about giving him glory. That truth, share it with somebody. Find somebody that you can say, you know what? This thing happened to me, and God was faithful. And because I was surrendered with him, he had it taken care of. Share it with somebody. What truth has he been teaching you in your life? Write it down. Find a way to share it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you got all the glory tonight, that this isn't about me. I pray that people will forget my story and they'll remember your faithfulness. There's a lot of people in here, Lord, that are needing peace, that are needing hope, that are needing purpose. 
Renew us again with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the crazy times. Lord, when everything seems hopeless, when there is no way out, when the enemy has only put the facade in front of us that says we are defeated, Lord, I pray that you will crush him, that you will remind us of your faithfulness, that you will remind us of the story that you played out in our lives that gives you glory, that gives you testimony. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who has a sin that's just stuck to them. And I pray, Lord, that they will be able to surrender to you, that you will give them the discipline and the strength and maybe the accountability like you did for me to set them free from that one thing that won't let go. Because, Lord, we have an enemy that's looking for the one thing so he can get his roots in to everything else. Holy Spirit, use your Holy Spirit crowbar to pry out the heart of stone in us and replace it with your heart. Lord, I pray that tonight you are calling someone, you're pricking their heart to call you their Lord. Lord, my salvation was so simple. I just made a declaration that you're, I'm yours that I believed in who you are and what you've done. Lord, I pray that someone goes home tonight and makes that decision. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for years of failure that are not in your eyes. Lord, that even times of brokenness or fear or setbacks they were all progress of what you were doing in your kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, for those in here that share those feelings that you are doing progress in their lives and in your kingdom through their story. Have your way in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.